It is finished. What's finished, Brother Todd? What is finished? We're going to tell you this morning. Turn to John 19. I got kind of tickled this morning, then I got thinking. I said, it's kind of sad, too, but uh, Jeff always asked me what my sermon's going to be on, and and so uh, I, I always give him a kind of a little title, and I said, today he's on the crucifixion of Christ. He said, it's not even Easter. And you know, we laugh about that, but it's kind of sad. We really don't hear this story but once a year, and it ought to be a story that we hear about every day because of the love that Jesus has for us. Have, let me kind of get us to where the cross is, all right? Have you ever been in trouble really, really bad? And you was really worried about what was going to be the outcome of someone finding out that you were in trouble. I was in seventh grade, and uh, we were in the class, and we had a substitute. It seems like you always got in trouble on the days substitutes were there. Um, I tried not to get in trouble much because back in that day, believe it or not, back in my day, if you got a whipping at school, you got a whipping when you got home. And they didn't go chew out the teacher, they chewed out you. They believe the adults of all things. Nowadays, they get mad at the teachers for doing something to the kids. Amen, teachers? Go ahead and say it. Amen. But we would get in trouble. So we're in class, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know how, I, I'm a good guy. I don't know how I got involved, but somebody started tossing erasers across the room. Back in those days, we didn't have smart boards. We had the old chalk, and you had an eraser. Anyway, it was dark ages ago, but anyway. We're zinging them across, and, and I had a fairly good arm, and so whenever I threw something, I threw it as hard as I could, just because I could. And about the time I, I stood up to throw it at my buddy in the back, this girl stands up in between us, and I nailed her right in the head, boy. I mean, she got hit so hard, there's chalk dust flying all over. And man, she just started crying, and I'm going, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, because I, oh. All right, let's go. We're, I mean, we're going to the principal's office, and I promise you, I didn't go there very much. I tried not to go there, but I thought my consecutive streak of not getting a whipping, Gary, was about to be over. You know what I'm saying? I knew it was coming to an end. So we're sitting there in the principal's office, and he, for some reason, the principal always makes you sit way over there and just out there in the lobby for a while and just let you think about things, you know, and so you get more shook up, more shook up. And so he just forever, just come out and get it over with. And man, I'm sitting there going, man, my dad's going to kill me, and I'm going to be in so much trouble. And so we go in there, and I'm just pleading my case. I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'll do anything, whatever you need, I'll do it, I'm, I'm sorry. And so he says, boys, you guys go back to class and straighten up. That's all he said. Man, I just, hallelujah, man, I ran back to class. I never threw another eraser in class as long as I lived. But, I, but thinking about the wrath of the principal and what was coming in the wrath of my dad is just kind of a small thing. Now, let's step that up about nine billion times. What do you think about when you hear the wrath of God? When you think about the wrath of God. See, because of Adam and Eve and because of their sin in the garden, because the Bible says because of one man, sin entered into the world for all of us. Because of him, we're all sinners. Because of Adam and Eve, we're all sinners. You don't have any choice. You're just born that way. You're sinners. And we are under, we are subject to the wrath of God. Now, if you think this week of an ice storm was bad, it's nothing compared to what would happen if God really just unleashed himself on this world. I heard this quote this week, and it really made me think, God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, 
but a settled opposition to the cancer of sin, which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. Think about that. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion. Sometimes when my girls mess up, you know, and they, they just they just mess up, and Dad, I just go ballistic. I go with a cranky explosion, you know, screaming and hollering and sending them to the room and all those things. A cranky explosion. And sometimes we look at God like, oh, God just got mad at me, got cranky, and, and threw a lightning bolt at me or threw an ice storm at me. And it, it's nothing about what the wrath of God is about. God settled in his mind a long time ago that sin needed to be dealt with. And it's been settled in his heart, and he's going to deal with sin. One way that he dealt with sin is what we're going to read about today is that his son come and died on the cross for our sins. That's one way that he dealt with sin. Someday in the future, he is going to come as judge, and he's going to come, and his wrath is going to be poured out on this world for all those that have never accepted Christ. This settled judgment of, I'm going to take care of the sin that is eating at the people that I love. Because sitting in this room this morning, myself and you all combined, there's a cancer in us that eats at us. It's sin. It eats at us. And, and one day we, we seem like we're doing pretty good, and the next day we fall flat on our face, and it, it hurts us, and it affects others. And, and we gripe and complain, and we scream at each other, and we, we murder each other, as we see on TV, and we abuse each other. And there's, there's just to- terrible, terrible things. And that, that, that cancer of sin is eating at this world, and eating at this world, and eating at this world, and it breaks God's heart. Why do I know that? Because he sent his only son to come and help and pay the price for the sin that we committed. It eats at him. He knows that it's eating us apart. The sin that is in our life, guys, that's eating us apart. And some of the sin, some of that cancer is so bad that it's turned people's eyes away from Jesus and they won't even look at him. They won't even take time to hear the good news of the gospel. They don't have any time for that. They don't, it, some of the cancers got so bad that it's got them convinced there never was a God. There never was a cross. There never was a resurrection. It, the cancers got so bad that they don't even believe there is a Savior. And it breaks his heart. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but a settled opposition to the cancer of sin, which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. It breaks God's heart. It, it just it makes him writhe in pain because of the sin that is in this world. So what was he going to do? There's a question asked by Isaac over in the Old Testament. You remember Isaac and Abraham. Abraham had been promised something by God. He said, you're going to be the father of millions. Your your descendants are going to be greater than the stars and greater than the sands on the sea. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. And it just didn't seem possible because they couldn't have children. Him and Sarah had been barren. They could not have children. They tried a a, a different route. And they tried going through uh, Hagar and Ishmael. And it wasn't what God had intended. And so it just got to be a big mess. But after a while, in God's perfect time and just the right time, God sent Abraham a son. His name was Isaac. And oh, they rejoiced. Here Abraham was about 100 and Sarah was about 90 and they have a baby. And they are excited. And one of the first things God asked him to do was, I want you to take Isaac and go up on the mountain. Which later that same mountain would be where the temple sat that we seen a few weeks ago. But I want you to go up on the mountain and I want you to put your son to death. I want you to sacrifice your son to me. 
What? But it says over in Hebrews, by faith, Abraham did what God asked him to do. You see, Abraham knew that his God was so good and promised, and he would keep his promise that if he asked him to sacrifice his son, he would bring him either back to life or he would go, he would do it his way, but his promise would still come true, and so he believed, and he took and he went up the mountain to sacrifice his son. And Isaac asked the question that is the theme of the whole Old Testament, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? If you want to, if you want to just put the Old Testament in few words, that's it. The whole Old Testament is asking this, where is the lamb? You know what? John 19, the lamb shows up. Let's read it together. John 15, 14, I'm sorry. Let's, let's look at a few verses we looked at a few weeks ago, and then we're going to start. John 19, verse 14. John 19, verse 14. It was a day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate said? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. That's an amazing thought. The irony here is just, the irony of this whole chapter is just amazing. But as I said a few Sunday nights ago and we studied this scripture, here the men that had been reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, looking for the lamb, where's the lamb, where's the lamb? The men that had been looking for the lamb, here he was before them, and all they could say was, crucify him. And then the other part is, we have no other king but Caesar. The king of kings and the Lord of lords was standing before these folks, and they made this awful statement somebody they hated and despised. People didn't like Caesar very much. He oppressed them. He, he pushed them down. He kept them humbled in a very cruel and harsh way. And all they could say was, we have no other king but Caesar. What about you today? Is there someone else king in your life today? Maybe you give your heart to Jesus, but for right now, something else is way more important. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've never asked him to be the Lord and boss of your life, and you've got another king on the throne. Who's your king today? What's the most important thing in your life? If you don't say Jesus then your priorities are messed up. You need to ask him about that today. Please leave this building today knowing that there's no other king but Jesus Christ. Don't put a false king. Don't put something that cannot get you to heaven. Don't put something on the throne that can't do a thing for you but hurt you. And what you think is maybe short-term satisfaction, short-term enjoyment, it will not turn out good Put Jesus on the throne where he belongs. 
So the, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Verse 17, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is an Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Now, as, as custom would have it, they usually made him carry the crossbeam. You've seen pictures and seen movies and things that kind of depict this. But the cross would be in two pieces. This, this straight part here usually would stay in the ground there at the, the place where they did crucifixions. But they would just leave it there in the hole. But this part here would be removed, and it would be taken, and they would put that across the per per person's shoulders, and they would carry that. That was tradition. And they were led out to Golgotha. Now, people wonder to this day where this exact location is. They've got places in Jerusalem that they say is that, but there's really no proof that that is Golgotha. There could be a couple explanations of this. Golgotha could have looked like a skull. It, it was a mountain. I've seen a picture of that called Gordon's Calvary. And it's, uh, it's there, and they've got it marked off and everything, but it looks like two eyes and a mouth in the side of this mountain, like a, the place of a skull. But there's another place over that's a little bit further away that, that's still just outside the city limits, as we'll see here in a minute, that some believe was the place that Jesus was crucified. They call it now the Church of the Sepulcher, the Holy Sepulcher, and it's marked off there. But that was where they took Jesus outside, and so he's carrying his cross, the cross part, and carrying it down the street. Now, John, in his explanation of this, is very simple. If you'll read Matthew, Mark, Luke, you'll get other parts of the story that, that John just chooses not to write down. It's a very simple story. It's very focused. But if you'll read some of the others, they talk about a man named Simon of Cyrene that come and they said, here, you carry his cross. When Jesus had been beaten so badly that he didn't have the energy to go on, they picked this man out of the crowd and said, here, you carry this cross for him. And many believe that Jesus stumbled his way on down through there. And this man, Simon, carried this cross member for Jesus to the hill of Golgotha. But as we look at the, the crucifixion through John's eyes, it's very, it's very focused. It's very brief. He didn't go into a lot of detail. But the main thing that John focuses on is the prophecies that are being fulfilled. He wants us to know for sure. Ever since the first verse that we read in John months ago, when we started studying through the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This whole book is to lift up and glorify God. And he doesn't want to leave any doubt in any of our minds when we read that this was the Son of God. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy are fulfilled on the cross. Things that were, were prophesied a thousand years before are happening on this cross at this time. And he wants the people to know this is God's Son. There's no doubt. There is no doubt. He doesn't really go into a lot of detail about this. You know, from the other Gospels, we know that there was a, a thief hanging on each side. They were men that were convicted of crimes. But he just says he was convicted with, uh, there they crucified him and him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Very, very brief, very plain. He's keeping the focus on the one in the middle, Jesus Verse 19, Pilate had noticed, prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, 
the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. It was custom for whatever their sin or their crime was, they would put a a plank over the top of their head here. And they would say murderer or thief or or whatever. And here here Pilate just put Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And the chief priest didn't like that. He said, no, don't put that up there. Put up there that he claimed to be that. We don't want you, I don't want people thinking he was. Isn't it ironic that the very person that knew nothing about what was going on is the one that claimed who he was? And the people that had studied him their whole life said, no, he's not him. It's amazing. And don't lose the fact that it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Those were the three major, religion, major languages of the, of the world at that time. Anybody in that crowd could have read that sign that was not by mistake. Here today, 2,000 years later, a cross has risen up. And I want you to know that on that cross, 2,000 years ago, was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He was the Son of God. He was the King of the Jews. He was the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he came to die and pay the price for your sin so that you would never have to experience the wrath of God. And he did that for you. And every person that read that sign that day could tell exactly who that was. And there was no doubt. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. On that day, he was lifted up. When they took that cross member and and nailed him to it, and they put it there and they nailed it together, it wouldn't have been far off the ground. Just maybe a little bit over arm's length. And on that cross that day, Jesus was settling your debt so that you would never have to face the wrath of God. I believe this story deserves to be told more than just one time a year. Amen? Verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and dividing them into four shares, one one of each of them, with the undergarment remaining, This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Psalms 22, 18. Usually in those days you would wear an inner garment and you would wear an outer garment. They had took the inner garment and had tore it apart in four pieces. So it looks like to me there was four soldiers there. And they give each person a piece of that garment. And they could sell it. They could keep it. Maybe their wife could make something with it. But the, the, the other part was, was a whole piece without, without any seams. If you've been reading chronologically, if you go back to where they set up the tabernacle and, and you would read about this is the way you do it and this is the way you make it. And they made the priestly robes. And they made them without seam. They made them as one piece with just a hole for the neck, and they would just slip over, kind of like a long, a long vest thing, all right? And they would just slip there, but it was all one piece woven. 
And so in order not to destroy the value of it, they decided to gamble for it. Now, I don't gamble, but I think if I did, this would keep me from gambling right here, that they gambled for the clothes of my Lord. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to have any part of that. And so they took that, and, and that, as the priestly robe, set, signified that he was standing as our high priest. He was our high priest. He was going in before God for us. In the old days in the Bible, the high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the covering of the sins. Here, Jesus on the cross, his clothes have been ripped off, and more than likely, he is hanging on the cross naked in front of all these people. And I can't even imagine the shame and the guilt and, and all those things that are, it's just people look upon our Savior with, without any clothes on. It just, oh, it just, oh, it's just terrible. I don't think I've ever done anything that has made me shameful for the Lord. But he was our high priest, and he went in before God. And he came to God and said, I've come to cover their sins, and not only to cover them, but to take away their sins. And he represented us as a high priest. The other part, John just points out that, look, this was predicted thousands of years ago. This was prophesied. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is glorifying God. John is constantly glorifying God through this because he, he wants us to know that Jesus Christ is the real deal. Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved, the disciple whom he loved, which is John, Standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. A very, it's just kind of strange that John would point this out. But again, we talked about what's John trying to do. John's glorifying God, he's glorifying Jesus, and here is a man hanging on the cross with nails through his hands, nails through his feet, a crown of thorns on him. He's standing there without nothing but him. And he looks down and he has compassion and love for his mom. And, and don't think he's being disrespectful because in those days, that's the way they addressed woman. That was just, that wasn't a, a disrespect. It wasn't anything. But he didn't really declare him his mother. It was like he was starting a brand new family. Hmm. I read that this week, and that just, that really overwhelmed me, because what is Jesus doing on the cross? He is starting a brand new family. You and I that have been saved, anyone in this room that's given their heart to Jesus is part of this brand new family. He's brought us together, guys. And here he was looking at Mary, talking to John. John, I want you to take care of him. I'm going to start a new family. I'm starting a new community. And today, guys, anyone that has ever given their heart to Jesus as part of that community of believers, and we need each other. Amen? People say, oh, I can, I can be saved and not go to church. And, and I, you can, okay? But I'm telling you, Jesus from the cross seen a need that his mother needed someone to be with her and to love her and to show her 
and take care of her and all those things. And he was starting a brand new family. And not only that, he was starting the brand new family of believers that we would see over in Acts as the Holy Spirit comes and he sends the comforter so that we have this person, this conviction inside of us that we know when we're doing right and know when we're doing wrong and know when we need the Savior to save us. And he's using all this to bring us together. And he knows that we're going to need love and compassion from each other. He knows that we don't need to be lonely. He knows that we need the strength of each other to make it through this crazy sinful world. And there is nothing more powerful than a body of believers in one accord, praising God and serving him like he should be served. Think about that. He's starting a brand new community. Think about this. If you're saved today, you're part of that community. The one that he started on the cross. Man, I love that. I love that. I never thought about it like that before. Now, from verse 27 to verse 28, if you go back over to some of the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, this is where from 12 to 3, that it got dark. This is where Jesus said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? This is when the wrath of God that I talked about earlier, the wrath that we really don't want any part of, is just poured out on his own son. Can you imagine that for just a minute? Can you think about somebody that's done something just, just hideous. Let's just say they murdered a bunch of children. And what you're going to do is you're going to take your son and daughter and you're going to bring them in. And you're just going to pour out wrath on them in place of that person. And you're going to beat them until they just they can't even stand up. And then you're going to execute them. And you're going to take their life in place of taking that sorry person's life that killed all those kids. You say, Brother Todd, I would never do that. So many people, when they lose loved ones or lose children or whatever, they say, God doesn't know what I'm going through. Yes, he does. He gave his one and only son. And not only did he just give him for others to take abuse to, he poured out his wrath on his own son. Think about that for a minute, guys. Let that soak into our heads how much he loved us and how little I do for him. Mm. And then we get to verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished... And so the scriptures would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With what? With that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. I am thirsty. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father. And you remember when 
they came to arrest Jesus and Peter took his sword to cut off Malchus' ear. And he said, he said, no, no, he said, you think I don't need to take this cup? Don't keep me from taking the cup that I need to take. The, the pouring out of the wrath, the, all the sin of all time would be poured on Jesus. I must drink from that cup, Jesus said. And then I look at this and it says, later knowing that everything had now been finished, so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He had drunk from the cup of sin. He had drank it all up. He had, he had taken all of our sin, all the sin that would ever be committed, all the sin that had ever been committed, and he drank that up. And he said, my is to do the will of the Father. He said, I am thirsty. Isn't it something you, you think about just a couple years ago when he was sitting by the well? You remember what he said to the woman at the well? He said, if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. For that brief moment, Jesus took all of our sin. For that brief moment. I am thirsty. He asked for something to drink. Now, don't confuse this in the other Gospels. It talks about them taking some gall and trying to touch it to his lips, and he refused because in those days that gall would have been like a, uh, uh, I can't think of the word, uh, you know, to numb you, okay, to numb you. He didn't want that. He wanted to die in full, fully cognizant of what he was doing. But this was a drink, and so they took that and put it up on a hyssop pole, of all things. You remember what they did with hyssop? You've been reading over in the Old Testament. They took the hyssop and spread the blood over the doorpost the night the death angel passed over the Israelites in Egypt. Here we are, many thousands of years later, and they're taking hyssop once again and taking, and kind of symbolic that the lamb, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Here the lamb is there. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. All the things that he came to do, all that the Father asked him to do, all the sin that had to be paid for, all the wrath of God that had to be dealt with, Jesus had done it. It is finished, just as Gary sang this morning. The battle is over. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Man. He did that for you guys and for me. Amazing love, how can it be that Jesus Christ would die for me? It said when he said that, he died and bowed his head. No, didn't say that. It said when he said that, he bowed his head and he died. You remember what I told you when we first started looking at this? Everything that happened is because God allowed it to happen. No one took Jesus' life. He gave it. Some say that he didn't bow his head like this, that he laid it back like the work is done. I'm resting now. And then he died. Then he gave up the spirit, gave up the ghost. He allowed his soul to be gone. He allowed it to leave the body. He did that. None of us have that control. But Jesus Christ did. Once again, John lifting up, this is God's son. This is the Savior of the world. 
This is Jesus Christ. He is the real thing. John shows us that in just a very few words. You go, I wonder why John didn't write more. This is the biggest event of all time. One of the biggest, and then three days later, that's another great big event. But these two events, the, the death and the resurrection of Christ, that's the two biggest events ever. Why didn't John just go into great detail? He gave us all we need to know. He's God's son. You believe that he did it, and he'll save you. That's all you need to know. Everything else is just good knowledge. It's interesting, but that's the basics. It is finished. It is finished. Let's bow together. And Father, as we dwell on these words, Lord, we're overwhelmed, we're shocked, we're appalled, we're sad, we're remorseful, we're broken. But Lord, inside, if we know this salvation, we are joyous also because we know without a cross... There's no salvation. Lord, thank you for being the lamb. Thank you for being the lamb they had looked for for so many thousands of years. And here you were, shedding your blood for us. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to hearts today. I just want everyone in this room to know that they know that they know that that they're yours. I pray that everyone here will know for sure that they have given you their life. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has not given you their life, Lord, this, this today that would be the day. Lord, they don't have to experience your wrath. They don't have to experience hell and flames and isolation from you. They can have eternal life through you because of your work on the cross. I pray that that will be more real and more vivid to them than they've ever imagined in their whole life. Lord, for us that are saved, we ask you to just forgive us. Help us to be stronger. Help us to live the life that is so much thanking you for what you've done for us. Lord, forgive us when we don't do much for you after all you've done for us. Lord, help us to be strong. Help us to not only take and cherish this word and cherish the old rugged cross, but to share it with people so that others may avoid the wrath that is coming. Lord, speak to hearts this morning as we quietly listen to you. In your name we pray.